Welcome to City on a Hill Gaming, a 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. Let's meet our players. Hi, I'm Grant, and I'm playing Trather Wimblin, a human fighter. Hi, I'm Jenny, and I'm going to be playing John Abermere, a crimson-born human. Peter, Bertrand Greystone, Dwarven Forge Cleric. William R. Ericocro Magi. Daniel, I am playing Vatten. I am a half-elf ranger. Hi, my name is Ben, and I am Twig, or Shem. I am a rogue bard and a, a goliath. We hope you enjoy our episode. Welcome back to City on Hill Gaming. I am your Game Master, Ryan, and it is sort of time for more Dungeons & Dragons. I say sort of because tonight we're, we're, there's probably going to be no dice rolling. Um, we're just going to talk about stuff. We're, we're down to William, and uh, just to kind of do something a little different, shake things up a little bit, we're going to have probably something I should have done a while ago, um, just sort of a discussion of our world building. And I think it's interesting because everybody else is here. And I think what it'll lend itself to is my perspective on the world building and then what that's meant for you guys, both for character creation and how you've how you've played the characters, I think is a, is a you know perspective we wouldn't have otherwise. Okay, so I don't even know really where to start with this, but um Okay. I know where to start. Go go for it. I I wanna hear more about these crimson rifts that uh, Jenny's character comes from. That is maybe my, one of my most favorite things we've done for this because that was yeah. purely so. So when we started um, prepping for this season, Ginny wanted to play a sorcerer, and sorcerer is a loaded word for me, purely from a Christian perspective. Um, yeah. And with a, with a Christian audience, it was a word I wanted to avoid, much like we avoid the word wizard. We use magi instead. Um, and so I'm like, okay, what can I do? What can I do? Because the class is interesting. The class is different. And it's very mechanically different from some other things. Yeah. And I, I think Especially, the words, your words were ma very magical accident. Yeah, because I wanted I wanted wild magic because, and, and we haven't brought this out a whole heck of a lot. And I think it would be cool, but it would be yet another thing on your shoulders where um, as per the player's handbook, um, there are two types of um, sorcerers listed in there. One is where they're it, somewhere way back in your family line. Uh, there's a bit of dragon blood in there. We don't know how it got there, but it's definitely there. Um, and so that gives you one sort of base skill set to work with. Whereas with wild magic, that's a lot more free form of an idea. And the very basic idea of a wild magic sorcerer is that a very magical accident happened. It is not necessarily something that can be predicted by a family tree. It, it just something happened to you. Um, and as such, the DM can mess with you a whole lot. And I love it when my characters get messed around with a little bit in a way that I can predict. Can confirm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have Jenny's no... Jenny's kind of our masochist in our group. <laughs> Here's the thing. I I am so far separated from my character at all times that, like... And it's not necessarily, like, separated from my character because I do get into character. But, like, I enjoy a story where nothing... Where, where not everything is all, you know, sunshine and roses and happiness, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I... I want things to happen to my character that are struggles. I, I want my character to experience struggle. Um, and wild magic has that built right in. Um, and so we haven't really messed around with that a whole heck of a lot, but the whole um, idea of a very magical accident was, was in my character concept from the get go. Um, and whether that ended up me going sorcerer or I think there's um, a, a rogue subclass. I could have even gone with a little bit. Um, but I, I, I'm no good at non-spellcasters. I'm really bad at them. Um, I, I'm much comfier in a spellcaster role. And like in, in Grant's game, uh, it, that is not recorded at all. I'm a little more comfortable expanding my horizons and playing a rogue there just because I'm not recorded. And so I can feel free to mess up, but like 
when when it came to when it came down to like this is a thing that we're going to be recording i was like okay i need something in my wheelhouse and sorcerer and the sorcerer class was very much that but because of the loadedness of the word it had to be modified a fair amount <laughs> yeah we've we've definitely poked around with it some and i think it it's yeah. turned out interesting enough that i'm, I'm definitely happy with the concept mm -hmm. uh and it's given us some opportunities to do some different stuff even with the side quests or the play by post yeah. game i think it's even come up a few times but it's uh i'm reading some of this while you're while you're talking about it this is interesting hey um Quick, uh, quick question. You may want to edit this out, but maybe we pivot a little bit and we talk about kind of the thought process behind all of the player characters, because I don't think we've done that on air in an episode of this yet. No. We have not. Uh, I'm not opposed I'm, to that. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Swoosing right in. And it, it, is it okay if I start? Yeah, go for Just it. Sure. It's totally fine. The subject of, of Crimsonborn and stuff. So, like, for me, um. When I created John, I definitely wanted some element of chaos there. Um, I'm generally a person who likes to play a chaotic character who is very, but I am very much in control. Whereas I sort of wanted to flip things with John, and I wanted a character who is not chaotic in in personality at all and who very much much wants to be in control but isn't um and and so thus very magical accident and um you know ryan like i kind of want to post our twitter chat for this oh that back and forth okay sure yeah like, like even just through screenshots or through transcription like because it was such an organic kind of thing or at least it felt very organic to me it's like there was a this lot is of what I want. right but okay so but why don't yeah. why don't could we do this okay well what if we do that yeah okay sure um, no i dig that yeah because because that's like a, a a really good illustration of of how i build a character with a gm which is my favorite way to build a character i i want my characters to be very much in line with the gm's universe and um uh so a lot of my characters as much as like they are very much a part of me um that they, they're also I, I want them to be very tied to the universe that they're in um and so yeah ryan made this he basically wrote out this wonderful story like like it was a really well-crafted story on how the the rifts came about and how john was taken in by monks and stuff like that like at some point ryan i would love to have like a proper sit down because like i'm not sure how much you've planned out but i'd love to like sort of hash out with you more of john's childhood because i have some very like ingrained ideas about the kind of area that john was born in and then the kind of areas that john grew up in and i'd love to hash those out okay more solidly with you i'm intrigued and i appreciate that because i've forgotten about this actually <laughs> i'm look i'm looking at it now it's the journal thing yeah. it's that yeah, weird little yeah. journal entry i wrote i forgot about that yeah. completely oh, wow. <laughs> my grammar is atrocious where did, did i write this on my phone yeah probably like, I mean, okay yeah Oh, okay, I'll, have, right, to, I'll so, have to edit it, but yeah, yes, I'm okay yeah, with I'll, that. Yeah, run run that past an editor and then publish it. It'll probably work out great. I don't even know where these quotation marks are. What the? Okay. <laughs> but, but I do, I do, I do. Only really quotation marks travel across the land. <laughs> There's no end in sight. He's still speaking somehow. What's even happening? And it, it was this weird moment where I'm like, okay, let me just see what we can. Let's just do a thing and we'll see what happens. Apparently, the plane that's on the other side of the Crimson Rift has a name. I didn't even remember that. I oh. remember that there was a name. I just can never remember it in the moment. Okay, so is the Crimson Rift some kind of a weird, like, planar breach or something? Or? something yeah. I think that's something I never explained well. So essentially what it is, is there's this there's this, this mage who shows up in the desert you guys are in now um, with the intention of dealing with this great dragon that lives in the desert. You guys have heard this story before. Um, he attempts to open this portal to force the dragon through it to a different plane. It goes sideways, a bunch of stuff pours out of the plane, back into the one your guy's in. In, in some cases, creatures, you know, enemies, whatever. But in some cases, it, it's almost like an energy leak. Yeah. And that energy, that magic flowing out of the portal, is how we end up with Crimsonborn. You can yeah. only be Crimsonborn 
in this setting if you are expressly from that area because the yeah. energy only came through at this particular time you know sort of along these guidelines and you it really has only come up a time or two you have you know jenny's character john and then you have the um rogue yeah, you guys have, have interacted yeah. with the senorita paralyzes trather all the time um <laughs> who is also crimson born and that's really the only instances of the show because there are so few people um who lived through it for one thing right P proportionally there are so few people yeah. that this even is a thing for yeah um, like, yeah, like there, there's a parents, whole there's a whole john, plane on the other side yeah like john's adult parents normal healthy adult parents did not survive the crimson rift it, it's like, very much it's it, very much a and this was one of my theories it was very much a like a a bruce banner hulk thing yeah let me shield you from this radiation it is going to kill me let me shield you from this radiation. It didn't kill me. What happened mm -hmm. is, I think, sort of the the direction I I tried to go with it. This kind of like, oops, oh, I can stuff now. Okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I believe we had discussions about like X Men parallels and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, essentially, and that's, it's sort of what it boils down to. This kind of like, and this is very much a superhero thing of. Mm -hmm oops i can now do a thing yeah what can i, did I not do ask with for this, that but thing no. yeah right. i did not ask for this but now i have it right it, it's not a so like i presumably somewhere in trather's backstory trather set out to be a knight or a soldier yeah of of, of some sense there is no point where you set out to be crimson born it is it is one of the few times and this is I suppose true of, of the class in and of itself in, in most editions, there's really no choice. No, not at all. For, for the character. There's plenty of choice for the player, obviously, but there's no choice mm -hmm. for the character of, oh, this is a thing I am now. Yeah. The choice becomes, and it feels sort of, I think there's something like bordering, bordering on like spiritual about it because the choice becomes, what do I do with this thing I now have? You, yeah. You have a gift yeah depending on how you choose to look at it you have something you now have an opportunity to you can let it uh control you or you can make the choice to harness it and do either good or bad with it john obviously has chosen one path um the rogue you've run into has chosen i won't say a completely opposite path but definitely not the same one um her crimson yeah. abilities reflect themselves more in a how can I make money off of this, but probably not still be a terrible person? And if you've played any Overwatch, that's very Sombra, um, yeah. which is what that character is, is just bluntly based off of. That is basically Sombra, who is just sort of... Sombra's a hacker, which is not exactly 5th edition, but <laughs> similar similar theory, similar ability. Yeah, she's a reality hacker instead of a computer hacker. Essentially. Sure. You know... Um... I like that approach because it kind of plays off like the um, Old Testament prophets a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if you look at Jonah, he's like given a message and he has to choose what he does with it. Same, and then, same with Moses in the burning bush. Yeah. And then alternately, yeah. you do have the false prophets or even like Balaam, who was almost, you know, was almost killed because he was going to prophesy against Israel. He was going to use his um, gifts for basically ill-gotten gains. Sure. So that's there's a there's a really cool parallel there that um, I'm not. I, you could probably allude to or lean on, I suppose, or you know just let it ride. I, either one, yeah. It's not something I really necessarily intended. It was just kind of a a thing that happened. There are only so many stories in the universe. You're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I that's think that's what it comes true. down to. You can draw yeah. parallels from pretty much anything to pretty much anything else along a certain line. Yeah, Most definitely. I mean, speaking of derivative characters, let's talk about Vatten. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, I just had really, I had a lot of fun with that segue. You, you, um, that's a good one. You should be proud of that one. It's really good. 
So uh, I basically had the idea for Vatten that the last character I played was a Magi in your game. Yes. That at his core really wanted to be a bard. Okay. Yeah, more or less. Yes, that's essentially he what made happened. Way too many charisma checks with that bonus that was non-existent. <laughs> hey, it worked out okay. Uh, it, it the the dice were nice. That's fine. And you know what? It'd have been more fun if they were wrong, but that's how it goes. <laughs> there is that. Um, but in in point of fact, I I took the idea like I, a magi was a good fit for what the party needed. And it was good to have a character that could kind of direct people who are, you know, not quite as experienced at D&D. But sure. for this party, I wanted something a little more, like, direct. So you pick a ranger, which I don't know how many people choose ranger as their first D&D character, but it's usually first or second, I imagine. Uh, mine was first, yeah. Uh -huh. I think mine was too. I yeah, still actually. haven't played one, actually. Oh, you um, should. It's totally fun. Uh, it's on well, the list. It's just... Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason I chose it mostly is because I thought, all right, here's what I want to do. I want to just be Aragorn. And then that was it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm I literally looking at our Facebook message, and I said, what picture would you like? And you said, use the words, basically, Aragorn. <laughs> like this was like nine months ago, but I'm because I, I remember this conversation, and it says the words basically Aragorn. I mean, I can't say I'm surprised by that. Uh, but what I appreciate about um, playing Vatten and on my solo campaign, I mentioned this a little bit, but you know, I'll give it a run in this one too. Uh, is that I? I wanted to play, you know, kind of a gruff, grumpy character. Like when you first meet Aragorn, he's Strider and, you know, he's he's very, um, you know, gruff, abrasive, but effective at what he does. And uh, as it turned out, John already had the emo camp staked out. <laughs> so <laughs> planted a big flag in that when you're not wrong. Yeah, both of us can't. <laughs> you can't have you know, a third of the party just sitting in the emo corner. So, yeah. I mean, you can. It's all or nothing. It's but... all or nothing. <laughs> or like all or one or two. Like, like... Ginny planted a flag and very glumly leaned on it real hard. Like, I did. <laughs> this is my corner and no one else's. This yeah. is my corner. Oh, bother. <laughs> and it works well, for John. It does. Oh, it... dear. This is my flag. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, that got a little droopy. Uh, <laughs> so, so I, 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 a couple episodes in, I kind of did this hard pivot with Vatten. Um, and it works out in the role-playing sense because my like backstory happened pretty close to when the actual, uh, and the timeline of the podcast and when the season started. So you can kind of get this idea that he used to be a bandit and he's kind of still feeling his place in the world of not banditry. I don't know if that's a word. I just made it up. Not okay, I dig it. We'll run with it. Uh, because there was, a, there was a part, and I'm just going to allude to it, but I, I made a suggestion in uh, one of the podcasts, uh, in one of the sessions, about something that Vatten could do, and you decided to cut it. Like it was one of the few times you as a DM said, no. Oh and, yeah. Okay. Vaguely. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I genuinely appreciate that because it gave me a signpost like, Oh, right. There's a line. And you know what? My character should stay on this side of that line. And that line only and, ex largely existed because of our, it's that hard family friendly. Yeah, line and that I've you drawn. know what? And, and it, you didn't. It it's was. Not like you, it was fair. It's not and... like you pole vaulted across it. Yeah, by it any was means. It was just I'm super strict about that for my own reasons. And, and you you tiptoed right up to it and leaned over it, and I'm like, <laughs> so when <laughs> when I noticed you had cut it, I I said, okay, there's the good sign. Plus, you as a DM never say no to anything, which I genuinely appreciate. 
that uh, any of our ridiculous ideas, you're like, yes, and roll for it. Sure. <laughs> which which I really appreciate. So I kind of got that direction. I was like, okay, he he might be, you know, have a rough background, but we're just gonna, you know, take a better approach. And so based uh, a lot off of um, the way uh, uh, Peter actually was playing Bertrand. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna kind of take a take a turn on my character and do this um, warrior therapist kind of thing. There's a whole TV tropes about it, um, but it's it it basically comes down to like, I, I Vatten's going to be a really good therapist while he's fighting, trying to convince people, kind of like this whole philosopher thing, of like, you don't have to do this. You can always turn around. Please don't make me shoot you with another arrow, that sort of thing. And so I got like a different, I, I basically changed my approach on the character based on who we were playing with and what fit better in the story arc. Because it was pretty apparent going early in that even though D&D is a very combat centric game, that our party was not about the combat and certainly not about the lethal combat. Overrated combat 100% overrated for our purposes partially but I still keep taking combat related feats <laughs> well, I mean hey that's character building there's not a yeah. whole lot else to take in D&D really. really I mean, yeah. I'm not that particular about someone with an absurd charisma score making all of your conversational roles so it's unless you just want to dump all your feats that direction doing them in a combat direction is, is sort of what you have to work with I mean, if you really want me to take a D&D campaign off the rails, give me a charisma score. I mean, hey, <laughs> there is that. There is Okay, that. guys, we need to find him a magic item that jacks his charisma score, like, up into the low 20s. Yeah, <laughs> and then instead of, of the party. And instead of playing Vatten, I'll just be playing me. He's not wrong. <laughs> Does 5th edition have those belts yep. that Pathfinder did? <laughs> well, they they have stat increasing stat increase items. Interesting. Items. The, the usual, you know, tomes and manuals. Plus two con, plus two yada yada. Yeah, okay. plus two, plus four, plus six, whatever. Right. Yeah. Okay, so um... actually, it might just be plus two, but yeah. When I, th I think Peter's an interesting place to go with this because, like Daniel mentioned, you know, sort of the influence of who you play with had made changes to how he wanted to play the character. That's the second time I've seen that because the same thing happened when you guys came in in season one. Jenna made a similar change to how she played. I'm so upset with myself. Petricor. There we go. Completely forgot the Tabaxi's name. Uh, to it's, how she played Petricor purely because of those interactions. Yeah, it's Petricor, the the smell of rain. That's I forgot. That's what that word meant. You were correct, sir. Okay, so I guess let me talk about that a little bit because um, <clears throat> both of the times when I came in to do anything with City on a Hill, like, you know, either either as that kind of one-off thing that we did previously, or this time, I don't want to use the term scared, but like very conscious of the kind of messaging that I was sending. It's like, this is explicitly family-friendly. This is, you know, kids are going to be listening to this. That is the whole point of this venture is, you know, that parents can put an actual play on that their kids can actually be exposed to and not have to worry about content. So it was like, what is the most wholesome, nicest, most gentle and virtuous character that I can come up with right now? And the first time that was Desilov. It was, it was interesting with Desilov because I actually kind of fell into the idea of intimidation as mercy in a lot of cases just because Desilov is so huge. Like, seven for feet those... of pure blue muscle. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. it, it makes sense with, uh, like, you know, you look at the uh, Samson and he tears the city gates off their hinges and takes them with him and throws them on a hill and no one chases after him. Yeah. Who's and, going and... to? <clears throat> Well, and the, the thing is, too, like, with, with Desilov, is I wanted to avoid even, like, 
Samson wasn't a real great dude. We did a whole oh, episode. Oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> the game. Like, and I so learned a I lot wanted, from that episode. <laughs> yeah. And so I wanted this character that was just like, you know, this 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 big ball of like, you know, like you said, fuzzy blue gentleness, basically. And I mean, like, I, I made him kind of standard D&D character in a way with that big, like, he basically had a, a debranched tree trunk as a weapon. <laughs> um, Which I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, but yeah, so when it came time to play something in a more ongoing thing, I was like, okay, well, Desilov was, you know, was interesting and fun, and I enjoyed playing him, but if I'm going to be doing this over a long term in a an ongoing campaign, I might as well stick with what I'm the most comfortable with, and that is undisputably the cleric class in D&D. I have played more clerics than all of the other classes, all of them combined. So I was like, okay, so what can I do with that? You know, I just finished playing this um, this human cleric in Grant's colony game that had been this very kind of introspective um, person who was dealing with a lot of stuff. And some of that was, you know, I was kind of dealing with some stuff at the time and I used Lambert as a vehicle for that, but it's like, I don't, I don't want to have that element in this because it's, you know, it's family friendly and that'll probably bore some of the younger audience members and it'll step on the toes of characters like John and stuff. So it's like, okay, so what can I do to just make like this really wholesome and nice character? And it's like, well, you know, dwarves make pretty good clerics. And then it was like, I've got it, a fixing expert. And it just kind of went from there. It was like somebody who... Bertrand is is really intended to be somebody who will never give up on something as a lost cause, um, which is which is why he's so careful about like making sure as soon as an enemy goes down, he uses spare the dying on him. It's it's why he's um, his favorite thing to do in downtime is to go like find the poorest area of the city that he's in, and just like make it so people's hardship is lessened because stuff that was broken that they needed to rely on isn't broken anymore. Everything can be, it's the everything can be fixed. Yeah. We can make this work. We can, we can make this functional. We can make this happen. And it, it's, you said, you said a really specific standard, I think with Bertrand, but it's one you've wholeheartedly maintained. And I, I think it genuinely makes for an interesting character. That's like, look, I'll hit you if I have to, but I have my lines and I'm going to push you until you let go. Of, and as soon as you do, driving. I'm going to be there to help you. Right. I will. Yeah. I will catch you when you drop. I, even though I, you I, just I, hit me. Yeah. I, I really appreciate it on the, uh, the last session that we did. Uh, Marianas had the, 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 the spear and you heated it up and you just looked at him and went, you're supposed to let go. <laughs> yeah, I did. Like, I did enjoy that line actually. That that <laughs> moment uh, was really good. But yeah, I really appreciate that Bertrand has not only a you know a heart for fixing things and this kind of uh, optimism about him, but that it's also um, pragmatic and practical. Like he Very. can actually just fix things. Yeah, which, and it was like I'm which getting... is useful because most of the time clerics are like, "Yes, I can heal your soul, but I I can't do anything about your leaky roof." Sorry. When it, it was this, you gave this moment where it's like, "I'm gonna force you to put your weapon down, and I'm gonna harm you in doing so, but as soon as you give up, I'm gonna fix it." Because you immediately. Yep did something i don't remember what you what you used but you immediately patched his hands yeah I, this is kind of um, like, i'm gonna do it was this like to bandages you. or something but yeah it was yeah, like i'm gonna do this to you because i think it's gonna work but it's not like i'm just gonna scar you and leave you be yeah that's and bertrand's I... very much of, of a i'm i'm gonna break this and i think that's the one few times where bertrand's broken something so he could fix it yeah yeah and i i think um that was a really good moment for both of us. Bertrand was like addressing his physical needs. And I mean, we were both kind of talking about, you know, 
Marianas's uh, spirit, but it was, you know, me from the aspect of I, I am working on redemption. Like I've, I have turned around. I used to be a bad person and, you know, you can turn around and do better. And Bertrand is telling him we can start right now by healing you and yeah. kind of moving on from there. Which I, I thought that was a really good moment. I think there were a lot of really good moments in the last session that we had. I, I yeah. think everyone got like a really good one. When I think yeah. that's something you guys have, have picked up and kind of run with is not just like when you put the orcs in timeout or when you <laughs> when you disarm someone or whatever it is you guys have done along the way, it's not it's never just been hey, stop that. No, seriously, it's been hey, stop that. Go do this other thing. Like, there's always, there's often these moments where you guys are like, you can be better. You can do better. And you push them towards making a change, towards making a, like, you don't just, you don't defeat them. And even though you're not putting them down, you're, you're leaving them there alive. You're still, you're immediately trying to turn them around at the same time. Like, there's not well, a, you don't okay. just let go of them. Can I, can I speak to that for a second? Because I think that's something that a lot of games or a lot of game authors and game designers and game GMs fail to make space for. Yeah. They, they fail to make space for the players making changes in the setting and actually being agents of change. Often it's, well, I have a plot that I want the, you know, player characters to go down. Okay, fine. But that's not player driven. That's driven by the GM. Sure. And one of the things that I think this group has stepped into is the idea that we are affecting change at both a, you know, plot level, but also at a personal level. Absolutely. Most of that has been external. I think there's been a little bit of internal change. You know, in terms of the character, like the actual characters, sure, most of it sure, has sure. been we're changing other people. Yeah. A, even a like lot Daniel of the said, changing Vatten to, you know, even pushing people to make the same choice he made of, of taking yeah. that step back from things. Sure, sure. And, you know, I, I think that's one of those things that I like in this game is we are actually highlighting that. And it's something I don't see a lot in... I'm going to say in D&D, &D, because D&D &D is usually here are the monsters, fight them to the death, and now we're going to go roleplay. Right. Yeah. In session one, I literally handed you that. I'm like, here's this thing, go hit it. Because in my mind, uh, literally up till that session started, that's how D&D &D worked. Yeah. I had really yeah, never yeah. played anything different. I mean, the, you know, we had sessions where we worked with people, we helped people, we did those things, but that was never the main focus, the main point. And when I'm like, this is not a dragon, I promise. Here you go. And you guys are like, hi. Hi, we came for the thing. We'll, we'll leave as soon. And I'm just like, what is it? Okay. Yeah. And so there was sort of that... that point where I'm just like, okay, so this is just going to be how we everything now, probably. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So that, that brings us to one um, pretty, I guess, important distinction is that as a system, D&D &D is very combat heavy. Uh, I know, I know Grant has at least alluded to it, if not outright said it already, but I mean, that's, that's one of the things is that D and D is very much skewed towards combat. And there are other systems out there that, you know, uh, incidentally have combat, but basically it's down to all the other decisions you make. Um, so yeah, it's yeah it's, where it's about something else entirely. Yeah. It's, it's a little harder to work it into a system. And I think, if you don't try to use um, dialogue in your options, you're not getting the most you can out of a good story. I mean, just the idea of being able to take what was once an enemy and fight them and then turn them to your side and for them to be a lifelong friend is, frankly, as old as the written word itself. The Epic of Gilgamesh, his best friend was Enkidu, who was some sort of wild man that Gilgamesh fought and beat, and then they were best friends. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think to ignore that entire aspect and to ignore the fact that you can change after fighting, you don't have to put people down, and you can like set them up for success, uh, opens so many more doors narratively. 
Mm-hmm. Accurate. Okay, yeah. Grant, tell us the story of, of Trather Wimnen. So, unlike basically everyone else here, I don't go into a game with an idea of how a character is going to play. Um, I, I am very mechanics-driven. Um, I've, I've told stories about my min-maxing days in the past. Um, I, I tried very hard not to do that with Trather and only failed a little. I only backslid slightly. It's fine. Don't worry about it. That's all right. Redemption's right here. You just exactly. got turned yeah, it's, around. It's a, whole, it's a whole thing about redemption. It's it's fine. When it's the same way I build, basically, anytime I play anything, that's how I build my characters, too. So it's something I'm very understand. Yeah. I understand I'd say, significantly. I'd say it's about 50-50 for me. Like, in this case, because we were going to be recording, I changed a lot of the way that I generally make a character. Yeah. Um, that's fair. I, I probably changed a little bit subconsciously, but I didn't. I don't think I consciously sat down and said, this is going to be a character I'm going to have on the mics. I did, however, sit down and say, I want to do something a little different because traditionally I play spellcasters of different stripes. Um, I played a, a birthright campaign that went on for 10 years and was amazing. And that was a cleric. I played a wizard in a game that uh, was Boy, you want to talk about min-maxed. Um, <laughs> I had a very scary enchanter character who was a very happy little strongheart fey halfling half... It was a half fey strongheart halfling. Yes, that's right. Because 3.5 racial templates and effective okay. character level and... Oh, boy. Um, yeah, like a... I think it ended up with like a plus seven to save DCs against uh, mind control spells. Hello. Like on top of the usual intelligence bonuses. Oh, on top of the, okay, sure. This seems yeah. fine. <laughs> um, that was definitely a, hi, you can't win. Please go turn yourself in. Um, it, it was, it was terrifying. I was not the strongest character in that game. That's fun. I, I tend to play a lot of spellcasters because it's fun and complex and it's an I win button. I don't generally like sitting around doing large amounts of damage or sitting around going, let's roll dice and have meat hit meat. So I decided to make a character where meat would hit meat and that was the main point of the class. Absolutely. <laughs> um, mostly just to kind of mix it up, see if I could. So that also kind of ruled out any of the fighter variants that involved spellcasting, right? Because oh, there's sure. a bunch of those in 5th editions. So I was like, okay, well, what if I just kind of made a... What if I made a knight? Like, this is a a very civilized game, right? It's sure. very traditional fantasy. What if I kind of harken back to those really early D&D archetypes and just play a medieval knight? Okay, cool. Let's give it a try. So that was Trather. Um, and so, you know, I had the ar- the archetype in my head, but no real character traits until probably a session or two in. I tend to kind of be a little goofy in games anyway, much as Trather is. Um, it's just kind of how I blow off steam and stay interested. To a certain degree, all of my characters are the same character, um, just expressed in wildly different ways. So that that's kind of how Trather came into being. Um, what I did not expect, and what has probably been the most emergent bit of his character, has been his optimism. He is very. just a very optimistic character who's like, well, don't worry, I'm sure everything will turn out fine. I, there's no way I can get hurt fighting these people. Don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it all, all out later. You don't want it going to go well for you because I'm invincible. You know, <laughs> I, I really like that aspect of Trather. Uh, yeah, it, Trather is fun that way. I'm it's glad. such a great foil for Vat, who's always like very like everything's going to go wrong. The worst case scenario. Well, but th- but that's every PC, right? Yeah, Jim's yeah. always going to get us. Something's going to go wrong. We're going to fail a check at the worst possible time. I'm going to roll a natural one. Trather's just like, of course I'm good. I'm the best. We're fine. Don't worry about it. You're in good hands. My hands. I rolled a one. That'll be fine. I'll roll a 20 next time. We're good. Yeah, and I've kind of played into that with like, Trather rolled a seven. Eh, you know. Whatever. We'll get we'll get around to winning. Get Don't worry next about time. it. 
And we're just warming up. We're, we're stretching out a little bit. You yeah. gotta warm up before you get your epic victory. And exactly. it's easy to do that when his main job is tank, right? I mean, his <laughs> job is to yeah. sit there, draw hits, and not actually take a whole lot of damage. And if he does, well, he's got enough hit points to take a couple of hits. It's fine. Um, so he can just kind of sit there and banter. But that idea of like opt of being an optimist has filtered in in ways I really did not expect for the character. Um, not just the whole um, you kind of kind of banter thing, but like always just assuming that other people can be better, right? And that sort of gets to to the whole redemption thing that we've talked about, where we were just like, "Don't worry about it. We'll we'll fix it." You know, we'll make things right for you. You can, you sit there, don't worry, we've defeated you. We'll figure it out. Well, and that led to, I think, probably the the best one-liner of the whole game, which was, I'm afraid I have to knock you out right now. <laughs> I did really like that. <laughs> that. But yeah, it's that whole idea. But also, it plays into Trather's idea that, of course, he can do anything, and whatever he's doing yeah. must be right. Right? Like... Trather is not a poet, okay? But he'll yeah. happily try and write bad love poetry because even though he's an optimist, he's a little bit insecure. And he's got, got this idea of like, I need to live up to this ideal of chivalric knighthood. And I'm going to go all in doing it. I'm going to go all in on it. What do what do we do? We read romantic poetry. Yeah, we do. We take on a squire. Um, I, Batten, uh, what's this word? Right, like it, it's that he's not good at it, but he's gonna try, and he's optimistic enough to feel like he'll get it eventually. It'll be fine, and he's undeterred by not knowing the word. That's fine. Yeah. That yeah, knows that, the word. We'll he's not the brightest. He's not dumb, but he's not the brightest. Right? He's he's a walking Dunning Kruger effect, or Dunning Kruger. Right? <laughs> the, the idea of like I know just enough to think I know a lot. The word was effervescent, by the way. It means air-like. Oh. Uh, that explains why it rhymed with crescent. All right. Yes, perfect. Yeah, exactly. See, there we go. But that I that so but this is all stuff that is emergent in Trather, just from like knowing a little bit of like, you know, uh, heraldry and doing a little bit of reading recently on knights and medieval castles and that sort of thing, right? Just Getting into that stuff, for the record, my favorite bit of history to learn and study is um, the Plantagenet era in England. And so that's like stuff that I kind of have in the back of my head for Trather. But all the little personal details, that's all just stuff that has come out interacting with the characters, the players, the GM, and the setting. Sure. Um, I mean, I had to go to my six-year-old daughter and say give me a name, right? <laughs> Trather is, it was named by her. Okay. Right. Like well, that, that's how yeah. little I knew about this character going in was like, I need a, a name. Six-year-old. Oh, is this the first time I've heard that? Yes, I, <laughs> Listen, I, I can, I can see in my head where that comes from because you'd hear, would you rather do this or would you rather do that? Nope. Nope. Wasn't even that. I said, I need really? a name for a night and she's, or a, a a D, I didn't even say a night. I said a D&D &D character, and she was like, rather. Okay. Huh. That is right. not syllables I would have gone with and feels weird, but I'm going to roll with it, and now I've I've come to terms with it. It's Absolutely. fine. Absolutely. Works for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I now assume the name fits. Like, it just makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. I love it. As a side note, I, I think Melee is a wonderful squire and a great side character. Yes, I do, and too. I love the image of Trather being a surprisingly good teacher, even though he's like his his personality's like it doesn't seem like it would fit all that well. Yeah, he's and shockingly like, good at it. He's gonna be wrong, but he's gonna be really earnest about the entire process, and that goes a certain amount. That covers Absolutely. a lot of sense, right? Yes, hundred percent. <laughs> okay, uh, Ben, tell us of Shim. Yeah, so uh, Shim basically came because I'm a 6'6", 350 kind of guy. Uh, and I was like, how can you take a Goliath and make him a rogue? And that it was like a weird conversation 
and that brought in also i thought it'd be really fun to do a bard and so i tried to marrying the two with uh the split personality thing this like the alter thing which we actually haven't really gotten into much since like the second which is totally fine um, yeah kind of a came back and forth thing yeah yeah um because it's kind of like when he's in public and like the original thought was when he was in public and in his uh non-goliath garb um as the bard uh he would be a little more like verbose and jovial and friendly and all of that and then as goliath rogue completely shut down quiet and in the closet i'm not closet in the uh um just like all locked up in himself uh but that evolved pretty quickly actually uh to uh actually bertrand was the one who kind of brought him out speaking of agent of change four or five episodes ago i think when bertrand was like hey we're gonna go mend the town <laughs> oh yeah yeah sure and she was like oh, okay let's do that <laughs> Like, I just like, I'll just tag along and do what I can and sing songs while you're fixing things. Um, and then there's little bits where he's got a little bit of my personality with the super fun fan of uh, horrible jokes, um, which is the bardic inspiration and the cautious hideous laughter and things like that come out because bad puns and bad jokes tend to fly, uh, flow well in this group. So it eh, worked well. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, so he's just been, time, sir. <laughs> he's, he's just been like on it because of also his background of being kicked out, not being around people that he knows, not being around, uh, even like races that he's comfortable with. It's been fun playing him discovering who he is through the rest of the party. Um, with that. Okay, so what does a healer, what does that mender do? Um, what does the fighting thing do? And so I think it, like, that actually came to a, um, a point with me last episode uh, with, well, these guys have fallen, but they're obviously not, in, they're not obviously bad guys, so let's send them home kind of thing. Right. Uh, and so that, that was kind of that moment for him was, oh, well, yeah, we, we don't have to just beat everybody up and do all that. So, yeah, go home. <laughs> um, here's, go back to the water, you're, you're free. Um, kind of moment. And that was that was one of my favorite moments for him um, because of that, like, it was the culmination of learning from the rest of the group, learning from the party, and being able to take part in fixing something. When I think that that fixing has definitely been sort of a constant theme for us, and I yeah. think it's interesting for Shim, because um, we I mean we we dug into the backstory a little with the different with that side quest, but it's you went a really interesting place with that, and that was not the character concept I expected. Obviously, the runt of the litter is a thing, but runt of the litter with the Goliath is a relative concept. Right. And it was <laughs> when you first said that. I'm like, oh, interesting. And I, I think it's played out well. And 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 this is something, and I've learned I've learned something even from tonight, just from this discussion of there's maybe some things about each of you. We see we see it more with Daniel, and with Peter, I think it comes through a lot. But maybe not. There's there's some elements of the backstories that we've maybe not gotten into as much as we could. And there's I think still some room to do some interesting things with them. Obviously, Ben with the you know the different things with with the race and the class and Jenny with the the wild magic and such. I think there's room to kind of explore some different things, and we do we explore different things here. That is um that's sort of our way, and I oh, dig it. So that brings me to a point, Ryan. That uh, uh I dig. Okay, bring I, it on. I am telling you that as as a player, um. I don't know if everyone else is on board, but they can tell you. But I, as a player, give you, the GM, my full and enthusiastic consent to do all sorts of weird stuff with whatever wild magic Jenny does and any <laughs> sort of weird side effects Ooh. that I have to deal with. I am okay with this. There's a chart. Like, there's an actual chart of, of like, a thing 
Hang on, let me let me actually pull it up because like there, there are idea. very specific yeah. things. I have Absolutely. perused a wild magic chart before. I yeah, it's like if one of us gets turned into a potted plant or a rabbit or whatever, <laughs> uh, you have my full and enthusiastic consent to do that, and I will roll with it. I am signing up now. My favorite yeah. moments in D and D in general have always been a critical fail of some sort that shifts the entire plan to the left. Oh, uh, I don't even mean a critical fail. I just mean whenever, whatever it's funniest to you, Ryan, please roll the wild magic <laughs> yeah. table. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I hate critical fails where the GM says, ha ha, now it's time to do something terrible to you to punish you for, I don't know, badly throwing that. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the powered by the apocalypse. You succeed with a complication. Sure. I, right. I like how they did that in Paranoia, where you have X number of successes and X number of failures all in one roll. And so you get to describe what the failures look like and then decide how the failures modify that. Yeah, yeah. Like, nice. By the way, for, for the audience who may not know any of the wild magic stuff, my favorite one so far is... it 4950? No, 2324. Your skin turns a vibrant shade of blue. A remove curse spell can end this effect. I dig it. Uh, you can't speak for the next minute. Whenever you try, pink bubbles float out of your mouth. The wild magic is actually, I think, why I was so fascinated when another group that I watched it did a whole thing on uh, the deck of many, the was the deck of many things. The, oh yeah, Jenny uh, has things to say about this. Jenny does. Oh, yeah. to say about I that. do. I do because okay. I ran a whole convention game based around every character having a deck of many things. And I that was fortunate enough to play in it. It was a blast. Yeah, I immediately I've, I've... draw five. <laughs> uh, I, I never did that. I always said you control how many cards you draw at, in any given turn. You may always draw a, a card, at least, on your turn. Well, they were they were reduced decks. So some of the... Some of the yes and no. It, it wasn't exactly reduced. There were the same number of cards, but I changed some of the effects because some of the effects are like long-term campaign effects, and you can't really put that in four hours. Okay, um, that's true. So, uh, yeah, there were the exact same number of cards. But I, I think I, with I Daniel, I would just pull five cards every yeah. turn. So, just... <laughs> so here's the thing. I don't remember if I mentioned it on this, but I know that I've told Ryan about it. Uh, in one of the podcasts I listened to, uh, uh, loading ready run did a campaign of temple of the lava bears mm -hmm. which is really funny uh but one of the items that was given to a person who decided to keep it secret right until the moment they needed it uh was he received a magical item called a booster pack of many things <laughs> and oh, the premise is that you grab a, a booster pack of magic cards in the game, tear it open and scroll through the, or like flip through them and read the names out loud and then choose one and then the DM decides what it does. Yeah. <laughs> that is glorious. That's okay, amazing. So, so Kyle it's, from MinMax podcast, they very briefly did this thing with, uh, it was him and his two cousins, and he built a chaos deck of magic cards. And before every session, he drew two cards from the deck and that determined what happened that session. Okay. And that's, it was fascinating because Ravnica's got some weird stuff in it. And uh, <laughs> and boy, did it. So I just did a random card generator, and it just gave me a 6-6 six, six worm token. So spoilers for next time. You Okay, you guys, so P Peter brought up the, the Crimson Born thing. Someone else bring up a thing. It'll be, it'll be our last thing for the night. <laughs> but what about the North bit? Oh, that, that's actually a good question. We've only been in the South. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm interested about the North bit. <laughs> okay. So so our world, the world we play in is on some sticky notes somewhere. I need to find those. Um, it's literally... If that, was a, if that was a sticky note, you have a really good high-res photo of a sticky note. It's not... The, well, the picture you've seen is nine sticky notes. What? Um, I, I, I taped nine sticky notes together, drew a map on them, and then redrew it on a piece of paper later. Oh, okay. I was like that. I don't know how well you did the, the the line cleaning up, but that was good. You you have no. It's it's just a talent, man. I I do what I can. 
Um, okay, so you guys, so the main campaign, the the first campaign, was set entirely in what's the middle sticky note, essentially. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's because that's because. <laughs> I, I would love for that to be the name of season one, the, the middle, middle sticky middle note. note. <laughs> there were no sticky notes at that point. I drew this entire map before the second campaign started, but it became the middle sticky note because it's all we had. The first entire first campaign took place in Thassaran and only in Thassaran, which is the, you know, sort of middle kingdom that was under siege by the merfolk. Keep your fish jokes to yourself. Um, and then we kind of came south into Anwaru, but there's nine other, or nine total, there's seven other regions. Loose seven lake. other great sticky notes. Yes. Um, and one of them's occupied by the, the thing that just says the Unknown Shores, which is where I did the thing with Mike Perna and Kyle from Enroads and the guys from Geek at Arms. And then there's five others. Math's hard. Six others. Um, there's the, so you guys ask about the north. So the north encompasses... So you guys, you guys would all have seen some kind of world map at some point in someone's palace you've been in. Um, I think you guys have all been in a palace together at some point, at, probably. At, as a ranger, it's a pretty good assumption. I've seen a map, yes. You've seen some maps at some point. So a, out of character, there is... The, the top layer of the map is sort of... The middle section is where Ben's character Shim is from. That is a predominantly Goliath uh, country. Almost exclusively. It's just like a Goliath kingdom. The section next to it is the Unknown Shores, which is that sort of completely separate, people assume to be completely empty region. Not completely empty, but that's a different story. To the left of the Goliaths is, I'm going to be honest, I don't remember the name of the region, but it's where Aarakocra and other avian creatures come from. Uh, it's where William's character R is from. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's Thassaran, where the main first game was. There's the Elf Kingdom... There's the Merfolk Kingdom. There's a Genasi Kingdom, which is sort of a newer thing I've added. Um, and then there's sort of where you guys are now in Onwar, which is primarily orcs and kinku and like half elves, stuff like that. Uh, there's the Furball Kingdom, which is the southwest? Question mark. And then there's the desert to the southeast that is just kind of this loose, open lake. Did I force you to make that by playing Desolov? Yes. Um, <laughs> I just, Not no, even I just, sorry. No, it's fine. That's where I literally. I mean, that's like there's a Goliath kingdom because of Ben's character. There's an Avian kingdom because of William's character. That's where all of these come from. Um, and there's like there's an entire mythos behind the play by post game on your Discord because of where Grant's character is from. Like it's centered entirely around that. So it's just kind of all this. It's all this mismatch, but to the north, um, the north is cold, because it, I guess, has the same hemisphere as we have, um, and that is where the bird people and the Goliath and other fun things are, uh, and the magical factory where Warforge come from, don't ask a lot of questions. It's a thing. <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, there's a, there's a thing, but that's mostly where most Warforge come from, um, I I like to imagine that it's doing nothing but playing like Raymond Scott's powerhouse I knew on that's loop what you were gonna there. Say. <laughs> or it's just going dum 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 And it's run by two mice and their names are Pinky and the Brain. Same thing we do every day, Pinky. Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Create a huge army of Warforged to take over the world. <clears throat> Accurate. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, that's going to be a thing we do now. I mean, Mike's side char character's sidekick was a mouse that lived yep. inside his Warforged. This that's and that. He was did, he try to, did he try to play on Jeopardy? No. Oh, they did do that, didn't they? Yeah, they did. <laughs> I have just the vaguest memory of that. Thank you, Daniel, for that really random reference that I forgot about completely. Man, listen, my ability to recall on 90s cartoons is great. That's also, because incredible. of Disney Plus, I just started watching Darkwing Duck again. As you so. so many people have been saying that. Like, of all, like I, never mind. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Oh, man. <laughs> That's that's really tempting. Like I have fond memories of that show as well. You should. 
They also have Tailspin. It was, you know, a ridiculous kids show, but it was an actually good ridiculous kids show. There was character development and yeah, stuff. Was. It was. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Now uh, I watch Phineas and Ferb. I mean, yeah, also great. It's fantastic. It's a very good show. It's so, so good. good. Yeah. My, oh, my... okay. Quick note. Yes. One of our, uh, my, well, not one of our neighbors, one of my parents' neighbors, because we go to my parents' uh, neighborhood where I grew up for trick-or-treating with the kids because we live out in the middle of nowhere and they live in an actual neighborhood. One of our, one of their neighbors had uh, Phineas and Ferb pumpkins out. Yes, <gasps> you should. That's fantastic. It was amazing. They had a Perry the Platypus and a Phineas and it was great. That That's makes awesome. me incredibly happy. What you doing? I mean, usually whenever I have to make a weird mad scientist voice, whenever I'm teaching, don't question it. It just happens. I'm not going to. Uh, it it always ends up sounding like Professor Doofenshmirtz. Yeah, as it should. Doctor Doofenshmirtz. Sure. He I'm... he is not he is not qualified to teach anybody he anything. He, he is not a professor. And more to the point, his is an applied evil science, not yeah, a theoretical. That's, that's <laughs> fair. Doctor Doofenshmirtz. He is uh, out there getting things done. Yeah, and usually <laughs> when it happens, the I'm, area. Yeah. <laughs> Usually when it happens, I'm also wearing a lab coat. As you should be. Fine. I just feel uh, like he's basically just Wiley Coyote. Yeah. But without the signs. Yeah, he's he's just in Wiley terms of, Coyote. In terms but of with, accomplishment. Uh, yeah. Pretty much. Uh and if we don't move on, I'm gonna start singing something by Love Handle, and by something I mean Ninja of Love, because it's the only song you should ever sing by Love Handle. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna sing the DuckTales theme song. That's also fine. That's uh okay. <laughs> We're going to call it there before we go get ourselves a copyright strike or something. I don't, it's going to be bad. Um, I mean, enough when we've talked about Fiddler on the Roof, we're not going to keep doing it. Um, that's, it's that's fine. As we all know, life is like a hurricane. Oh. Here in Duckburg. Yep, there it is. Okay. Folks, <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> this has been... Uh, this is nice. I like this. We're gonna we're gonna do some more of this at some point because there's I'm sure more we can dig into. Um, this was awesome. actually quite enjoyable. This was <laughs> oddly entertaining. Yeah. I've enjoyed this. Grant saving the game things. Yep. So we are saving the game, uh, Christian podcast about tabletop role playing games and collaborative storytelling, and we were very kindly invited on to City on a Hill, you know, to play some characters, and we're very grateful for that. You can find us at stgcast.org. You can find us on social media, Saving the Game on Facebook and Twitter. And we've got like 166 episodes, and that's just our regular episodes of all sorts of content stretching back seven years, seven and a half at this point. Uh, we're actually just starting a series on alignment, going through all the alignments and yelling about them. So that's exciting. Okay. Um, I kind of feel bad for our... Uh... Our editor, he's going to have to deal with a slightly heated argument. Popped up in the a lot middle. of crosstalk on that one. Oh, a lot there of was. Crosstalk. Yes, I, I feel like I, I feel, should apologize. Yeah, I feel bad. I, I don't actually, but that's because I have opinions. There are opinions. Um, <laughs> I feel yeah. bad that I express them so loudly and messily. Uh, that's what the internet is for. I he's not wrong. <laughs> It's what it's become, at least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but. yes. So, check out Saving the Game. Uh, Please. It's an excellent resource, and we do very much enjoy having you guys on with us. Uh, and check them out on Patreon, which is a not so subtle segue because I'm probably launching one for us soon. Hooray! So, hey. stay tuned for details. That's partially so we can have a better place to record than Google Hangouts because I'm not loving it anymore. Um, working, working on some theories. Talking with some people, we'll figure something out. So check them out. Check us out. Cityonahillgaming.com. Find us on Twitter. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Leave them a rating and review on iTunes. Or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yes. A quick note on that. Those help a lot more than you might think. Just in terms of the way that podcast statistics and rankings are done, every review has a surprisingly large impact. So I know it doesn't sound like a lot that you can do. And I know like, oh, I got to go make an Apple account or whatever to leave a review on iTunes. It helps a ton. Please yeah, do that. surprisingly huge. I mean, it's just, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Also, hi, Sterling. That's my cat that's screaming say, instead I, of Kennedy for a day. You're the kitty. Yeah. It's kitty time. Okay, so check them out. Check us out. We appreciate it. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to City on the Hill Gaming. For more information, you can find us online at cityonthehillgaming.com, email us at cityonthehillgaming at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at cityonthehillgame. For more information on saving the game, you can find Peter, Grant, and Jenny at stgcast.org or at saving the game on Twitter. Thanks, and have a blessed day. Ryan, if you want to, like, record something like what Peter and I have done previously with like a um oh uh uh collaborative build a thing uh, build a thing build a thing for yeah. John's hometown and surrounding okay. area and stuff I'd love to do that. that and yeah I'd be you... fine with that as well for Trather and everything around him as well because okay. yeah. I, I actually have no thing. clue I have no clue what's inside the rift that is purely Ooh. unexplored territory to be honest Okay. Wow, um, it's a, it's a hole, and there's stuff in there. Yeah. I'm sure, probably. Is that where stuff and things gets it? Yes. <laughs> it's a pipeline. Stuff and things Don't talk about also it. boxes, extra dimensional traders extraordinaire. I mean, <laughs> it scared one people, one group of people. We took it off the business cards. We're moving forward without it. <laughs> That's it. Didn't it didn't focus test very well. No, the word plane like, makes people like, uncomfortable. I'm, I'm actually very sad about this. It was my hometown, and I'm deeply hurt that people are afraid of it. It's true. <laughs> <laughs>